we will read Psalm 130. Psalm 130, where we read God's word as follows. A song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, a hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Before we listen to God's word based on that psalm, let us now sing from Psalm 51, the stanzas 1 and 2.
after the sermon, let us sing the rhymed version of this psalm, all four stanzas. Beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we turn our attention once again to one of the songs of ascent. Of course, this morning I paid attention to Psalm 131 in my home congregation. I did actually do them in the right order, but since you have Lord's Supper in the second service, I had to reverse them. But in a way, we kind of got ourselves already ready for the afternoon sermon, also by talking about the fact that these songs of ascent, they were songs that were sung by the people of Israel back in the Old Testament times on their pilgrimages towards Jerusalem. And they are also therefore fitting songs for us as we continue our pilgrimage, no longer dealing with the shadows of the city of Jerusalem, but we are moving on the way to the heavenly Jerusalem. It was also mentioned that when it comes to the Psalms, there is that vertical dimension, that part of it is where we sing to God, you know, praise, confession, you might ask for things, the petitions, but also horizontal aspects where we sing to one another. Now, you can also notice when it comes to the Psalms, just maybe stress this a bit extra also for this afternoon, that in the Psalms, sometimes we sing in the first person, so it can be the I, so you refer to yourself as a child of God, but also very often there is the plural, where you sing together as community, and often these elements, they kind of blend together. We, we saw that this morning as well, where there was this individual singing, but then also we were singing and encouraging one another. And all these things, they come to play also in Psalm 130. There are vertical aspects, there are horizontal aspects, and there are also the very personal, and then there is also the communal. So, I've summed up also the sermon for this afternoon in this way, that I proclaim to you that Psalm 130 is a traveling song, another traveling song, in which we cry out, we confess, and we invite. Now, we begin then with this aspect of this traveling song in which we cry out to God. Now, notice this, of course, is a very personal crying out. It's done by every traveler on the way to the heavenly Jerusalem. And now, as to why there is this crying out, if you compare it, for example, to the previous Psalm 129, there's also a crying out, but that is a crying out because the people of God are often oppressed by many enemies. But here, it's different. Here is a crying out to God because of the awareness of one's own sins and what that deserves. And so we read in verse 3, If you, O Lord, would mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? So, notice, here in the words of the psalm, we don't know who wrote this psalm. No author is ascribed to it. We, we learn to describe also our spiritual awareness of our own sins, our iniquities. We, in a sense, we hit spiritual depths as we know our guilt. And the result is that we begin to desperately look up to God. We plead with God because we are aware of the severity of our sin. Now, we do well to take note of this feeling of despair, almost, this sense of being in 
in the depths of our sin, you almost say there's even a sense almost of being depressed because of sin and, and the fact that if God would deal with us according to our iniquities, then not one of us would survive a split second in his presence. You know, this kind of awareness is also expressed in Psalm 51, which was written by David. We know he wrote that after he confessed his sin with respect to Bathsheba, the adultery, Uriah, the murder. But there, you know, we had also those very profound, even mournful notes where he said, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is that which is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You see, there, there is that deep awareness of sin. In our psalm here, Psalm 51, and, and even though you can say, well, we might not have a sin of the same magnitude that was just mentioned with respect to, to David, we might not be guilty of adultery, we might not be guilty of murder, but when we are honest with ourselves, there is no shortage of sin in our lives. And just in case we think, well, it's not that big a problem, you know, because we have kept the ten words of the covenant outwardly, that's not all that difficult to keep them outwardly, but the Lord goes beyond that. Because even if you do pretty good on number one through nine, already in the Tenth Commandment, you come to, you shall not covet. And then we come to the desires of the heart. And then we come to the way that the Lord Jesus also summed it up, which he was simply quoting Old Testament passages, that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, then we know the Lord is looking beyond just external obedience. Even as he went through some of the commandments in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, well, even if you have lustful thoughts, if you have hateful thoughts, you're as guilty as the one who has actually committed adultery or who has actually murdered someone. So the Lord looks very deep into our lives and exposes all our sins. It is not just a matter of our deeds, but he even holds us accountable for our thoughts and for our desires, even desires that seem to come up within us without us wanting them, we still are accountable. That shows our sinfulness. And as we think about that, you know, then we have here an aspect of spirituality that may not resonate with us as much as it should, even though, you know, we will sing Psalm 51, we will sing Psalm 130, we sing other psalms that confess our sins. Because really, brothers and sisters, how often is it that we feel really down in the depths of despair because we are overwhelmed by our sins and our shortcomings? Does it ever happen that you all of a sudden wake up at night and you're not awake because you're worried about things that you have to deal with, the various crises in your life, but you're worried because all of a sudden you are struck by the depth of your sin, of your iniquity, how you have transgressed the commandments of God. You know, I think here also of the way it is expressed in Article 15 of the Belgian Confession, where it talks about our original sin, how even though in Christ that is covered, you could say, but the effects remain. And that there we speak about the fact 
that we groan, we groan as we eagerly wait to be delivered from this body of death. Now ask yourself, what's the last time you've actually groaned because the awareness of your sins all of a sudden hit you? And that, that you really genuinely felt like saying with the Apostle Paul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, where we think also of that part of the form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, where we also speak about the fact how important it is that we think about our sins and accursedness so that we might humble ourselves before God. You see, the, the, the spiritual thoughts are brought to the fore here that almost scare us because we don't really like to think too much about the depths of our sin. And as I said, how many of us actually wake up all of a sudden in the middle of the night and say, oh, I'm suddenly realizing how I'm offending the Lord God and all the things that I think, things that I, I desire. Does that really happen to us? And it should. It's brought to the fore here. And so we can see then how, how by this psalm, the Holy Spirit through this psalmist, puts words on our lips that should really reflect an awareness in our hearts, or you could even say it stirs up that awareness in our hearts. There, there's a need for mournful, penitent songs in our lives. So, as we are traveling towards the heavenly Jerusalem, you could say, there should be some gravitas, some seriousness. We can't go through life thinking, oh, we're Christians, and we'll just have all these happy, clappy songs. Everything is fine and well. No, if we are really aware of who we are, there will be time for joyful songs, but also time that we, we, we really reflect and we say, oh, I am a sinner. Even as I live in the life of grace, this sin continues to be a serious problem, and that we, like I said from Article 15, we groan in the remaining evidence and presence of sin in our lives. But crying out because of our sin, thankfully, is not the extent of our song. And that takes us to our second point, or, or since we're dealing with a song, you could say our second stanza, where we reflect on also a happy part. Now, as we continue working through this psalm, we, we see really that the dominant note in the song of travelers on the way to the heavenly Jerusalem, even though there is a lot of sadness because of, of affliction that it comes to God's people because they are God's people, a lot of sadness because we remember our own sins and shortcomings, at the end of the day, the dominant note in all these songs is not sadness, but joy. And this comes out in what we can call a confession of faith. But we hear that in these words. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. For you see, travelers on the heavenly to the heavenly Jerusalem, they sing as covenant children who know that their God is a gracious God, a forgiving God. They, they know that the God that they serve is a God who takes our sins and he removes them as far as east from west extends. And how far is that really? You know, east and west never meet. He removes them as far as east from west extends or 
He cast them into the depths of the sea. Even, even if you drop something in a lake that's only a foot deep, you're going to have a hard time finding it again, especially if it's a muddy bottom. But if it's a meter deep or kilometers, sometimes the ocean is very deep. Well, well, the Lord casts our sins into the depths of the sea, never to be found again. Now, at this point, I repeat again that this, this song would have been sung by the original singers, you could say, on the way to the city of Jerusalem. Now think about it. Why did the people go there? Of course, you could say, well, well, the Lord told them to go there. Told them, first of all, to go to the tabernacle, but when the temple was there, they went to Jerusalem. But why did they go there? Well, because that's where the temple was where sacrifice took place. There, in Jerusalem, was the ministry of reconciliation. Keep in mind also, in that way, the sacrifices, in a very symbolic way, spoke of God being a forgiving God. And, and through those sacrifices, God and sinners, they could again live in fellowship. So, so the people could go to Jerusalem with joy in their steps, even when they were aware of their sins, because they knew that when they got there, they would not meet a God who would scour at them, and he would shake his hand and finger and say, Oh, you bad people, what are you doing here? No, they would meet a God whose arms are wide open, and says, My children, here you are. I'm happy that you have come. This was the city where the ministry of reconciliation by the priest made that possible. This was the city of peace, of God's favor. Keep also in mind, you know, they went there for the feasts. They didn't go there to get a scolding. They went there to celebrate. Celebrate the fact that they had peace with God, sim symbolized in the sacrifices. Always good to keep in mind, you know, the feasts in the Old Testament, the very fact that they are feasts. But also, yes, they were connected with the harvest, but all these harvest things were tied in to remembering how God had delivered his people. Now, a good song, of course, has substance. Now, we can see it in this stanza, filled with confession in the way it spells out the purpose for which God forgives, namely, that he may be feared. Because God does not forgive sins so we can sin all the more, but he forgives sins that we may serve him and praise him and live in fellowship with him. And so this forgiveness that gives becomes an incentive to, to walking in holy, joyful fear before the Lord. And the joyful tone in this stanza of confession comes out further in the way it speaks of waiting for the Lord and hoping in his word. And when it, when it says in here that the psalmist says that his soul waits, that really has the ex, a sense of eager expectation, looking forward to something with, with great intensity. You know, we think of how, how children, they look forward to their birthday. They can hardly wait for it to come. Joyful event. Well, here the psalmist, he is waiting, he's waiting to meet the Lord again in Jerusalem in the whole symbolic sacrifices of, and the reconciliation. And so, 
that waiting and hoping, they, they are synonyms. There is that eagerness, a longing. Now it should be noted how the waiting for the Lord is tied to hoping in his word. That is, his, his revelation. And again, think of it, you know, the travelers, you know, visualize it for a bit again, how it would have taken place in the Old Testament time. They would go to Jerusalem, and there the destination was the temple. The temple where they would see the priests at work, ministry of reconciliation. But not only would they see the sacrifices taking place, they would also receive from the, the priest the high priestly blessing, which was an indication of, of their reconciliation with God, of their forgiveness. Keep in mind that the, the priests, they, they served as the ambassadors of God, passing on his words of grace. And, and the eagerness of this hope of, of hearing the word of the Lord is compared in this psalm to watchmen waiting for the morning. It's a bit of a hard concept for us to figure out when we live in a, in a world really where there is never darkness. Even a darkness, there's all kind of light available. But think back, you know, way before they had the electricity and things like that, then darkness was darkness. And yes, all kind of dangerous enemies would try to sneak up on the city in the dark of the night. And, and so the, the watchmen, they would look for daylight. Oh, daylight, that would bring safety again because then they could see what was happening. But even more than the watchman waiting for the, the beginning of the day, here is the mindset of, of the person, the traveler on the way to Jerusalem, who, who knows that when he gets there, temple, ministry of reconciliation, he's going to hear about forgiveness, eagerness. That would also really bring out things like, well, are we there yet? How long will it be till we finally get there? You can see there would be spring in the step as they were walking on the way to the earthly Jerusalem. Now, of course, this disconfidence could be expressed in the age of the shadows. How much more confidently can we confess it, knowing we are reconciled through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ? So, we know, we know there is forgiveness. And yes, with the Apostle Paul, we may cry out, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We know who will. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he, interesting how Paul kind of cries out, wretched man that I am, in chapter 8, Romans, he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we can have spring in our step, aware of our sins, but knowing Christ has paid for him. And we can eagerly wait for him to come in glory. And, and even as we think about that, that as we are traveling on the way to the heavenly Jerusalem, yes, we know our sins, but we know our Savior. We can even bring in there how, how, how our weekly worship service fits within that. Because, of course, when you come to the weekly worship, that's not yet Jerusalem. But a weekly worship service is really a resting place on the highway to eternal life. A resting place where we kind of, you know, when you travel and you need gas, then you go off to a rest area or a gas station. 
But think about that. Every Sunday is we pull off the highway of life with all its busyness. And, and you ever think about it? The first thing that the Lord says to us when we gather for worship is grace to you and peace. Wow, what a relief. Hey, here we are, sinners. God doesn't greet us scolding, say, you bad people. He says grace to you and peace. That's the first thing. And when he sends us home, he sends us home with his blessing. And in between, we get a good dose of grace too. So no wonder really that those who, who long to, on, who are eagerly walking on the way to the heavenly Jerusalem, they, they love those rest stops where they get reminded, they get a little boost of grace, grace, they get recharged and say, yes, there is hope for sinners. And then you leave, you go back on the highway for the rest of the week, but you are fueled up, spiritually fueled up, and you, you know that in six days' time, you're going to get another break. So that's a great thing also to, to think of the Sundays as a reminder, yes, we are sinners, but God is a God of grace. Oh, what a relief. And on we go. Now again, we see a connection to our self-examination. Because you know, as it speaks about that we should know our sins and misery, it also tells us we should ask ourselves whether we sincerely confess that our sins have been forgiven. You know, those, those aspects of the catechism come to the fore. Know your sin and misery, confess them, but also know that Jesus has paid for all our sins. So, that was stanza one. Know your sin. Stanza two. Know your Savior. And this leads to the invitation. That's our third point or our third stanza. Uh, I said earlier that the first two stanzas are kind of sung in the, in the personal note. On, on, we, we speak about I, me, you could say. But since this is a song sung by all the travelers together on the way to the heavenly Jerusalem, this is not really a, a solo. It's not an introverted song. Rather, we do see, yes, every singer sings personally. Confessing our faith is, is something very personal. But it is also done together. And it is also a case, you could say, that as we sing individually, as we are traveling, we're always looking around and looking at brother over there, sister over there. Do you hear me? Can I hear you? Can we hear each other? You see here, we have what Paul says about we are to admonish, to teach, and to encourage each other. And we hear this in the, this invitation in verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. You see, we talked about that this morning too. Psalm 131 has some similar words there. Here, here is the call to the fellow travelers to, to join in confessing our sins, but also to place our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important to keep that in mind because we pointed it out this morning too that all our fellow travelers might not always be in a mood to sing. And in this particular case, it could very well be that, that some fellow travelers are burdened by their sin. Maybe certain things happen in their mind and in their lives and troubles, and maybe they have fallen into some kind of sin. So, so they might even begin to wonder, is it really for me? And then, you see, we can encourage each other. Say, look, we're traveling together. No matter what you've done, Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Turn to him again. Go to him for forgiveness. 
No, and then also keep in mind again, the basis for this calling our fellow travelers, for in the Lord there is steadfast love. Because a, a person can say, well, how do I know the Lord will, will hear my plea? I've done some terrible things. Say, but the Lord is faithful. He has said, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are forgiven. They have eternal life. No matter what you may have done, God is a God of grace. Turn to him. God keeps his promises. No matter what sin there may be, those who come to him again in Jesus Christ will receive forgiveness. It's also brought out when it states that with him is plentiful redemption. Literally, it says that with God there are numerous ransoms. You see, even though, of course, we know that Christ has paid the price once, God comes to his people repeatedly. Even when they slip away, he brings them back, he forgives. He did it to the Old Testament Israel. He does it to us. We can never think, you know, now, now there's nothing left of the blood of Jesus Christ to cover my sins. It's always sufficient. When we turn to God again in Jesus Christ, he will cover it with that sacrifice. And so, as travelers in the New Testament age, we can sing this song with greater intensity, in inviting each other with all the greater clarity and confidence to hope in the Lord. Because we know in Jesus Christ, we have the redemption foreshadowed in the ministry at the temple in Jerusalem. And we have the promise that Jesus will come in glory to redeem us from all our iniquities. We are redeemed people now, but you know that we need his coming in glory to finish it all off. And we need to call the straggling, the struggling, and the straying sheep to hope in the Lord based on what our Savior has accomplished on the cross. See, and as, as you reflect on that, you said the first couple of stanzas are kind of in the first person. The I is singing, and the, the third stanza shifts, shifts to the, the we, the plural. Actually, as we think of these, these traveling songs, they also portray for us the church like a giant choir, actually, marching towards the heavenly Jerusalem. This, this choir actually had been traveling since the first person in that long line, beginning back with Adam and Abel and Eve, but keeps on traveling, and we may be part of that. And yes, as you listen, as you listen, there are, let's call them the minor notes, because that's kind of a, a mournful tone, as we cry out to God because of our sins. But more important, the overall thrust of the singing that takes place on the heavenly, made to the heavenly Jerusalem contains joyful major tones. As we confess the grace of God in Jesus Christ, we confess forgiveness, confess his mercy in Jesus Christ. And, and, and in the grand scheme of things, those, those major notes, those joyful notes, they drown out the sad notes. And as you listen, we said it's a choir. And in this choir, there will be those who seem to be singing a bit louder than others. Yeah, the others are not singing as loud because they might not be in the mood to sing. Well, the louder ones help them along and say, don't forget, don't forget. 
the God who you serve, the gracious God. You may be overwhelmed by your sins, but, but look, this is the kind of Savior that we have. And therefore, brothers and sisters, as we continue our journey to the heavenly Jerusalem, let us continue to sing our mournful notes, but also our joyful notes, crying out for mercy, confessing God's mercy in Christ, and inviting one another to hope in the Lord. For such kind of singing is a great way to fill the time while we are traveling on the way to the heavenly Jerusalem, reminding ourselves of, of sin, of salvation, a life of service, and helping one another stay focused on the gospel of salvation and our destination. Amen. <laughs>